0: Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, It is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading uh, to us today. I hope that none of us become tired of hearing about the covenant in Paul's ministry or indeed anywhere else in Scripture. It is true that I mention the covenant a lot and perhaps more than you've heard it spoken of before. But I don't make any apology for that. When we delight to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot help speaking about the covenant of grace and peace. And this is because we recognise that his... Great accomplishments on the cross were the acts that fulfilled the terms of that divine agreement, that covenant. And we cannot help but speak of the covenant when we realise that it contains eternal certainties for the elect of God all those who are chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. And we cannot help speaking of the covenant when we anticipate the glory and the promises of justification and reconciliation and ultimately everlasting life that it brings to us. Because these are the very blessings and privileges set forth in the covenant and for which it was set up in eternity and fulfilled by Christ in time. The everlasting covenant is central to the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. A few weeks ago, for example, um, We read in in Isaiah chapter 42, speaking of the coming Messiah, uh, the Lord is speaking and, and he says, I, the Lord, have called thee. So it's like God the Father speaking to God the Son in the context of his imminent coming. He says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and Listen, give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. So here was Isaiah recounting to his Old Testament uh, readers what God the Father was saying to the Son in the context of the everlasting covenant In that covenant agreement that the father was undertaking to do certain things on behalf of the son. And the son was obliged to do things as part of his responsibility within the covenant. And so we see here that the father was saying he would give the son for a covenant of the people and for a light of the Gentiles. Christ is the covenant Fulfiller for his people. Now that's the Old Testament. That's Isaiah. In Hebrews, um, the, the the writer to the Hebrews, perhaps probably the Apostle Paul, tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Now it's the it's a new covenant, but it's It's the same covenant because it's the everlasting covenant, which is always new. And Jesus is its mediator. And that the God of peace has brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So whether we're thinking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, this concept of covenant, this everlasting covenant that undergirds and upholds the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the framework in which the saving work of Christ is to be understood and enjoyed. I don't want us to I don't want us to simply think that this is theology or this is this is doctrine the 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 point about our relationship with God and through the Lord Jesus Christ is that we enjoy the blessings of these truths which have been revealed for us they are to encourage and comfort and sustain us the covenant the teaching of the covenant brings us help in our Daily life, because it reassures God's people in their trials, in their difficulties, of what has been accomplished for us. That this great transaction, this great agreement, a contract is another way of thinking about this covenant. That here we see in these verses, whether it's Old Testament or New, the uh, foundation of Christ's work being revealed to us in the terms of this everlasting contract and here Paul is telling the Galatians he calls them brethren I I I wanted to point that out to you because he's he's (laughs) he's been quite rough on the Galatians from time to time through this little book already as he has addressed them he's he's called them foolish and he's 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 been quite sharp on occasions with them. But but here he calls them his brethren because he still has this good hope for them. He still has this hope that their adoption into the family of God means something to them and that they've got a wisdom and an insight and an understanding of spiritual things that once corrected, they will respond to. And he is trusting that they have not rejected the simplicity that is in Christ and in some way shipwrecked their faith because of their sympathies with these false teachers that had come amongst them. So here Paul calls them brethren and he is telling them that there is an everlasting covenant that is unchangeable having been fulfilled, completed and satisfied in and by the Lord Jesus Christ and ratified by all three persons of the Godhead. He is speaking about what we sometimes call the covenant of grace or the covenant of grace and peace, by which the righteousness of God's elect is secured And unalterably fixed in the mind, will and purpose of God for all time and eternity. And the Apostle is making his argument upon known and understood experiences of men in their own contracts and agreements. And, and you will know this if anyone's ever bought a house or if anyone's ever signed a contract for a, a vehicle or, or um, even a contract of employment. We know that when a contract is signed, it's ratified. And the experience of, of individuals in a legal context like that, when we make a contract or we sign an agreement, when a covenant is made by men, maybe it's the last will and testament of someone, and it is properly signed and witnessed, it cannot be altered or amended. And so it is with the covenant made and confirmed by the persons of the Godhead. It cannot be altered, it cannot be added to, it cannot be amended. Under the terms of this covenant, Christ in his death has secured the justification of the elect in the sight of God, and that cannot be changed. So we are made righteous in the sight of God, and that cannot be changed. That's the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. Now these false teachers, they were trying to add man's own obedience and works righteousness under the law as a condition or as an addendum in order for the benefits of salvation to be received and enjoyed by the Galatians. And Paul's telling his friends, he's telling his brethren, he says that even amongst men such a thing would not be tolerated or allowed. So why would you even think, it's an argument that he's making, why would you even think that such a thing would be acceptable in the sight of God? You cannot unilaterally alter the terms of a ratified contract, and nor can it be with God. A contract agreed by the Father, Son and Holy Spirit from all eternity, centred in Christ, depending wholly upon the accomplishments of Christ, with all the benefits and blessings of that covenant placed with Christ to be freely distributed by him, according to his grace and under the terms of eternal election, can have no conditionality. No dependence upon, no respect to the merit or indeed the lack of merit in the objects of God's choice. And that's, I hope that's not too complicated, but that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the the, the Galatians here. The law works righteousness, personal obedience, creature acts and creature merit has absolutely no part or purpose in this gracious everlasting covenant. It has been settled in eternity, the work has been done by Christ in time and the benefits of justification and the imputation of holiness has been done. And Paul Paul has already shown from the testimony of Abraham. Now, doubtless, Abraham was uh, well-beloved of these Judaizers. They would boast in him a lot. They loved the idea that they were the children of Abraham. And, And Paul's already referred to Abraham in the context of these arguments Uh, that he's setting out here in this chapter. That that Abraham's experience of trusting God and being declared righteous by God, because that, of course, is the whole point, that, that Abraham was declared righteous by God. So as far as God was concerned, Abraham was righteous. That that was a free gift. It was not an earned righteousness. So... Now he turns again to Abraham's experience in order to strengthen this part of his argument as well about the contract. And he is saying he had shown that when the covenant was revealed to Abraham by God, Abraham believed it. Remember a few weeks ago we asked, what is the it? Well, it was the covenant. It was, or rather it was Christ who was made the covenant of his people. That's what Isaiah says. So Abraham believed this. He believed that there was a righteousness that came from God that was independent of a man's own labours. He believed in Christ. He looked forward. He saw the examples. And even that ram caught in the thicket was an example that God would supply himself a lamb, and Abraham trusted, Abraham understood, probably far more than we appreciate, Abraham understood of the coming Messiah. And this covenant uh, brought a righteousness that was imputed to Abraham for Abraham's own righteousness. Abraham thereby obtained and possessed, and inherited by imputation, the full, complete righteousness of God in Christ. And he was enabled, by faith, to enjoy the comfort and joy and realisation of this privileged state of grace. We talk about the joy of being a Christian. It's not, it's not because we sing nice songs or we, 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 we sort of are, are, are happy all the day long or you know because we think we're going to heaven and it'll be great. The, the joy that a believer has is a joy in the midst even of their deepest trials and troubles because we understand that this is a fixed work of blessing that has been accomplished. And Paul goes on to point out the timing of these matters. He's, he's showing that the works structure of law and legal duty that the Judaizers wished to impose on the Galatians. Remember, these Galatians were Gentiles. But these Judaizers wishing to bring this onto the, the, um, the Galatians, Paul, Paul says, look, remember, it was, it was some 430 years later When God gave Israel the law by Moses. So Abraham wasn't aware of the Ten Commandments. Abraham wasn't aware of the law that would 430 years later be given uh, to the children of Israel by Moses. It had no bearing. The law had no bearing on what Abraham obtained, the joy he felt and the knowledge he received of his righteousness already being settled in heaven in eternity and and so that's why in verse 18 here we we read for if the inheritance be of the law it is no more of promise but god gave it to abraham by promise that is he gave it to him by grace god promised it to abraham not contingent on the works of the law, which hadn't even been given yet and wouldn't be for another 430 years. The inheritance comes by grace. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are chosen, first of all in Christ, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, called by the Holy Spirit and there we see the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit engaged together in the fulfilment of this great covenant of life for his people. And ultimately it is by grace that we shall be glorified because our glorification and our place in heaven is not in any way conditional or contingent upon how good we are or how bad we are. It is all of grace. It is not of works. And Paul is emphatic in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. He says, if by grace, then it is no more of works. It is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So you can't say that you believe in grace and then bring in some sort of work structure, whether it's by the law or whether it's by... Um, a new law, a different duty, a different obligation um, that is subsequently laid upon you as a church member. Finally, here's my final point today, and then we're, we're through. Paul answers a question that he knew would be asked when such a clear statement of gospel truth had been asserted. And the question is, well then, what is the purpose of the law? Why was it given if all the righteousness that a man or a woman required is already secured by Christ? And Paul tells us, it's not a secret, he says because of sin. The law was given because of sin, it was added because of transgressions the law measures the extent to which we fall short of God's perfect holiness in the flesh. It leaves us, it renders us guilty and without excuse and it brings the Lord's elect under condemnation in order to drive us to Christ for salvation. We learn by the law that the, righteous was, the righteousness we need can never be attained by personal obedience or good works. You know, it really isn't, it really isn't complicated. The law, the law has made such a, 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 a yoke for so many people today. It's, it's got so many denominational traditions built into it that that you sometimes think to yourself it would take you a whole lifetime to understand all the subtleties of what is allowed and what's not allowed, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And people go through their whole life self-examining and wondering whether or not they're making up the standard that they're supposed to live as a Christian. And we've got books written and sermons preached and courses run about how we are supposed to live successful, fulfilled, powerful Christian lives. And it's so much nonsense. The righteousness we need can never be obtained by personal obedience or good works. The law was never intended to make us righteous and it should not be used for that purpose but to show us rather how unrighteous we truly are and bring us to the Saviour for salvation. Bring us to his cross for cleansing and to his resurrection for confirmation of our righteousness and justification before God. How do we know that we're justified and righteous before God? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's that's how. Because God was satisfied. Because the blood, the precious blood was acceptable. And the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is our confidence and our assurance that the terms of this covenant, this great agreement, have been fulfilled. So all this talk of the... Uh, the law and being under the law as our rule of life and the law being the standard of our obedience and the measure of our holiness, it's just wrong. It is Christ who is our righteousness and holiness and justification and sanctification. And all our felt lack of holiness, which the law surely measures in the natural man, is met by returning to Christ and resting in the righteousness of God imputed to us in the covenant by the person of Christ. That's what it means to rest in Christ. That's what it means to rest in him from all our works. And it's what it means to enjoy by faith the benefits and the blessings of his completed work. Mm -hmm. The final part of the reading today, 19 and and 20, the final part of 19 and verse 20, it seems to give information about how this giving of the law took place um, and who the parties present were and and who was involved. But I I think the, the, the great lesson is that the Galatian brethren were not to be distracted by these troublers not to be distracted and drawn away from looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for their full sufficiency. And nor should we be. If you find yourself feeling good about your good works or feeling bad about your failures, well, the answer is the same in both occasions. Look to Christ and look to his death on the cross for all your acceptance with God and then you will find peace for your soul yeah. and peace of conscience Amen Amen oh, Thank you